Join me, Professor RPG, as I sit down with friends, colleagues, and special guests as we reminisce and discuss role-playing games that left their mark on us. Expect to see all sorts, from western style to Japanese and even tabletop. So stay a while and listen, and let us trigger those memories of tales long since completed. Relive that fantasy you hold dear, and come along with us, adventurer, on this quest into the past. Welcome to the RPG University. Welcome everybody to a special side quest episode here at RPG University, where I'm going to recap and kind of talk about some of the RPGs that I saw back at PAX West 2022 out in Seattle just last week. Um, as always, I am your host, Scott, aka Professor RPG, and uh, let's just dive right in, I suppose. So, with PAX West, uh, it was far greater, it was, it definitely felt bigger than PAX East was earlier in the year out in Boston, just a few short months ago, back in uh, April, I believe it was, end of April, uh, because back in PAX East there was no big developers. Here, at least, we had Bandai Namco was there showing off the new One Piece RPG, and Nintendo was there showing off some stuff, pretty much just Splatoon, and then they had some Pokemon trading card stuff, which was incredibly popular. But... I focus more on the indie side of RPGs. I did try out briefly the Bandai Namco's One Piece RPG, and from what I could, from the bit I could tell, and really from everybody else, what they were saying is it came off incredibly impressive. I don't, admittedly, I don't know too too much about um, One Piece. It's one of those things that I just never really got into, so. I approached the demo from an RPG player perspective, and I mean, it seemed pretty solid. I only played it briefly, and it's like, okay, I'm gonna go check out other things. But everything I heard about One Piece was incredibly positive, and I think it's one of those things, like much like Dragon Ball Z Kakarot, if you are a fan of One Piece, I think you'll get a lot out of this. If you're a fan of RPGs, I don't know how much you'll get out of this. If you come at it just from an RPG fan perspective, I don't know how much you'll get out of it. If you come at it from an RPG perspective and One Piece fan side of things, then you're probably going to get this anyway. The production value seems incredibly high. I will say they have nailed the, the aesthetic of this game. Luffy and the rest of the Straw Heads look are captured expertly. It looks very, very good. It almost... The environments and sceneries definitely look like... It, it reminded me a lot of Dragon Quest. Just that very cartoonish, anime-inspired, well-done aesthetic. So yeah, One Piece and RPG fans, uh, give it a check out. Now next up was a an indie title that I had the chance to check out called Arcadian Atlas. And you know, thinking back, it doesn't seem all that long ago that like RPG fans, specifically strategy RPG fans, didn't have many offerings. And now it's like a switch was flipped, and I don't know what it is, but it seems like we're just flooded with them now. I mean, we have Final Fantasy, we have Tactics Ogre coming out, we had Bra or we had Triangle Strategy earlier this year, we had. Uh, I know it's not like it's also a Warriors game, but we had Fire Emblem Three Three Hopes uh, with some 
tactical elements. Now we have others coming out. It's just, I feel like there's a lot announced. And Arcadian Atlas is, is one of them. It, granted, this is going to be coming out next year, but still, but Arcadian Atlas has actually been in development for like a long time. It was originally kickstarted back in 2016, so I mean, it's been, what, six years at this point? And it, the moment I picked up the controller, and really anyone picks up the controller, they will instantly kind of feel the homage and see the homage and inspiration that the developer um, Twin Otter Studios took from Final Fantasy Tactics. It, it's very, very similar in many regards. It has a very similar isometric grid-based tactical element to it. That's where combat takes place, but even the character sprites, which are... I have to say, expertly done, just feels like Final Fantasy Tactics. Now, one of the things that really impressed me about this game is it, it fills that itch. Arcadian Atlas really fills that itch that has been missing. I mean, we've gotten Final Fantasy Tactics, whether you love it or hate it, it has a distinct feel to it. It's, I mean, similar to Tactics Ogre. It has a very... I feel like these these games have almost a slower pace to them. They feel weightier than other games like a Fire Emblem. Fire Emblem feels very fast in comparison to a Final Fantasy Tactics or Tactics Ogre. And this game, Arcadian Atlas, retains that kind of slow, methodical, uh, directed and kind of strategy vibe that those other games did. It attacks will require charging. You can target specific tiles or you can target units. Uh, it includes a number of classes. I believe the developer, I want to say, said that in the final game there'll be 12 classes, somewhere around there, that will be able to kind of evolve and you can do a uh, promote units, so it's more of a final, uh, a Fire Emblem approach when it comes to the classes as opposed to a tactics, which you get to a certain level or you learn a certain number of abilities in one or one or two classes, it will unlock another class. It isn't doing that approach, it's doing more of a Fire Emblem where you start as one kind and then you can evolve it down a tree, being becoming more and more specialized and more and more powerful as you get down that path. Um, I don't know how I feel about that, like... I like the Fire Emblem, Fire Emblem approach, but I feel a lot of strategy, like especially Japanese tactical role-playing games, rely on that. I, you get, I don't see as many games approaching classes, class systems like Tactics did. It seems far more prevalent that you get Fire Emblem ones. I could be wrong. If you know of a good Tactics like class system game that isn't Fire Final Fantasy Tactics or Tactics Ogre, let me know. I'd love to check it out. But in the meantime, I feel like a lot of them are just promotion-based, which has its merits. I love Fire Emblem. I love this approach. I would just like a little more variety. But when it comes to variety, you have all the staples. You have like your archers, you have your cavaliers, kind of your, your heroes, you have your wizard or warmancers, I think they're called in this game. And they all feel good. They have unique skills. You can learn skills and abilities and yada yada yada. My main gripe with Arcadian Atlas, and honestly 
from talking with the developer who was on the show floor and kind of sitting with me as I went through my demo, it was a, a sentiment shared by a lot of people who had tried the demo, was it doesn't present inform enough information to the player. Now, what I mean by this is, let's say, in combat. So the demo consisted of two different fights, uh, one in the forest and kind of one in the city, leading to a choice whether or not you could execute or spare the enemy you had just fought. In a cutscene, much like you would see in the Final Fantasy Tactics. During combat, each character has their various attacks and abilities. But when you in combat, when you select an attack you want to do, you get no information on the range, the what an attack does, if there's a benefit, or a, uh, if it heals, or if it does some sort of debuff, or slows an enemy. It doesn't say that. You don't know. Uh, it also doesn't show you what its attack range is, or what squares it will attack. Well, is it an AoE? You don't know. And also, like Final Fantasy Tactics, some attacks require charges. Like, you to charge it up. So you don't act right away. There's also no indication on what attacks you do need to charge and what are instantaneous. And bringing that up, they said they know it'll be addressed. So thankfully, my main gripe about this will almost certainly be addressed when it before it releases in summer of 2023. And that's the thing. Any issues I might have with this game or kind of uh, nitpicks, they have a lot of time to address. And one of my other... I would definitely classify this more as a nitpick. So you're able to recruit new soldiers and equipment, assign or equip characters with different items and whatnot, like you would in any RPG. And what it, I don't want to say it bothered me. I think bothered is too strong of a word, but in the menu, I I traditionally think when a, a weapon is good or a higher stat, it will be a bright color. You know, like a, a yellow or something bright and vibrant. Warmer, warmer colors, warmer tones, higher numbers, higher values, better. That's what I associate with. And then lower value or weaker, I associate more with cooler colors, like your blues and whatnot. That That's just how my brain kind of works it out. In this one, at least in the demo, it was reversed. So I would go in and I would look at, I would want to equip a new item. I would go into a shop and try on items to see if it would be better or worse. And the lower values were in this bright, very vibrant, stood out quite a bit against kind of the background, a, a bright yellowish orange, but it was lower. And the better weapons were like this incredibly pale light blue, almost white. Like, it was very close to white, I found. Closer than it should have been, anyway. And it was higher values. And I addressed this as well. So, I, I, I don't know. Is, is, is that a nitpick? Is that something that should be addressed? Or is that just some little oddity that I have? I don't know. But yeah, that's Arcadian Atlas. Final Fantasy Tactics fans definitely give this a look. It's currently on Steam. Uh, so, add it to your wish list. I think it will definitely be worth your while. It's gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous, and a must check out 
for any fans of Final Fantasy Tactics or Tactics Ogre. Stepping away from the Final Fantasy Tactics uh, realm, we enter instead Nintendo's Fire Emblem realm with Lost Eidolons, or Eidolons. I got a, kinda got into a discussion with some folks while at PAX, how you pronounce it, how you pronounce the term E-I-D-O-L-O-N-S. I've heard it Eidolons, I've heard it Eidolons. Um, how do you pronounce it? I'm curious. Uh, but yes, this is a game from Ocean Drive Studio. It is a Korean studio that has developed a really sound in pretty rich and in-depth Fire Emblem-like tactical RPG. I The best way I can describe it, and I describe this to my friends, is, is if Dragon's Dogma or Dragon Age Origins had a baby with Fire Emblem, you would get Lost Eidolons. Now, combat is very Fire Emblem-like. It's similar grid-based structure. You move four units around, they get into combat, they do one attack, there's like weaknesses involved and classes are handled very much like they are in Fire Emblem. But visually speaking, it's heavily, heavily inspired by European medieval fantasy. You have a lot of admittedly generic looking white dudes and, and ladies fighting these magical beasts, magical creatures. The creatures look very cool. The rest of the graphics, the rest of the people, kind of generic. They look like they've been pulled out of like that, or like that 2010s era PlayStation 3, 360 um, games. I mean, they're not bad. They're just kind of there. Um, they, they serve the job. I think the animations are pretty good. But so what really sets this apart is. First off, this game is pretty difficult. It's got a good amount of challenge to it, even on normal. And the developer is like, yeah, it's difficult. There's going to be easy mode, there's going to be a hard mode, there's going to be a hard, hard mode. It's great. Good stuff. Um, but yeah, even the demo I found to be pretty challenging. Like, I lost some units. They were actually having a, a challenge that people could take part in where... If you complete the demo without losing a unit, they give you a cool, like, desk mat, like a giant mouse pad. I didn't know about this when I was doing the demo. I failed at it anyway, because I probably lost, let's see, maybe four characters, four or five characters. I ended up beating the level, but we took some casualties. And permadeath is an option, or non-permadeath. They did say that that is an, uh, a, t a choice that you can make when you start up the game. So, it didn't appear there was, like, a weapon triangle system like you would find in a Fire Emblem, like your traditional Fire Emblem. Instead, what you get is enemies you fight generate a weakness. Like, two weaknesses randomly placed in the spots in front, in the, in the squares, excuse me, in front, behind, and on the sides of their, their model, like their, their range. Um, and these weaknesses will be axes, spears, bows, swords, magic, and there might have been more, but those are the ones that I kind of remember. And if you hit a creature in the, that's, that specific spot with that weapon type, it'll do more damage. Well, in order to really take advantage of that, you have to continue hitting these spots that change and rotate as you hit them 
with the with new we with the weaknesses. These will really ramp up the damage and just like melt away an opponent's health. And that's kind of the main shtick and kind of strategy you need to take advantage of in combat. And like I said, when you hit a weakness, it kind of spins around and they'll change position, so you have to kind of adjust on the fly. But in order to kind of adjust for this and take this into account, each character that you have can equip a primary and a secondary weapon. Um, I don't know if people can also... I don't know if magic spells are considered items, like weapons that you can equip. The, in the demo, I was only able to really swap or equip bows or swords or act, like more melee-focused weapons. Uh, but yeah, absolutely free action. You can do it on your turn, anytime during your turn, for no cost. You don't have to swap and then wait another turn to attack. They were, the developer was very admin. It's like, that's not fun. We don't want to do that. So you can swap back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Doesn't matter. Um, to to kind of take advantage of that, that system with weaknesses. And I have to say it worked out well. It, it I... I like the customization aspect, and there's, oh, I want to say, 10 classes, I think they said. I think there's, let me, I'm on the Steam page, yeah. They're with over 20 playable characters and 10 classes to choose from, and now they, I did ask, will everybody be able to be any, any class? Can you assign any class? And they, and they said, yes, you can, but certain characters have been tailored to be better at some classes than other classes, which makes sense. I mean, if a character's kind of from the get-go, we're trying, or on the like a more magic-y route, it would make sense that they suddenly wouldn't be very good with like a heavy, heavy axe or a sword and shield um, that you would kind of have to build up to. That. So I, I appreciate the option to be able to assign skills or assign classes at my leisure, as long as they, they meet the requirements. I appreciate that. I like that. I always love the allure of challenge playthroughs. Like, oops, all archers. I think that would be a fun one. I've always wanted to do, like, an, an all archers mod for Fire Emblem or something, where every character you get can only be archers. Same with, like, Final Fantasy Tactics, like, oops, all soldiers or all squires or what have you. I think it just adds replayability options, and I appreciate that. Now, one of the things that really... So, the combat's fantastic. I absolutely love the combat. If you're a Fire Emblem fan, you will you will fall in love with the combat. You Each character has different... Um, they can equip armor and accessories and all sorts of things. As you level up these classes, you gain additional skills and boons that you can then equip special weapons weapons and item equipment come in different rarities which might have different skills associated with it there's it's it's very rpg heavy and i appreciate that there's a lot of area to min max and tailor units to how you want all big pluses probably the biggest surprise for me though came in the form of the camp now in fire emblem you have a camp that's where you organize things you can sell uh, you sell things, reorganize your units, items, what have you. In this game, in Lost Eidolons, Eidolons, the camp is fully explorable. Like, you get shifted to a third-person perspective where you can just run around as you want. 
this this part very much felt like a Dragon Age to me. You go, you talk to your your companions, you interact with them, you go on, you this is where you pick up a lot of side quests, and you can learn more about your team and what's going on in the world, and you can pick up little odds and ends and doodads to add to your document trove to learn more about this kingdom or that kingdom. There's it's a lot of that. This is where you also go, there'll be vendors. There'll be various people that come to your camp that you can interact with. And one of the things, some aspects, some classes are tied behind gameplay progression or story progression. And I brought this up, it's like, will you be able to... Is there a new game plus? And they said that not at launch, but it's definitely something that they are looking into. It's something they want to do. Um, and are seriously looking into, but that it won't be at launch, which is okay. Um, that would be cool. But yeah, some aspects to this game are tied behind what chapter you're on. So hopefully we do get that new game plus sooner rather than later that will allow you to start from the get-go with everything unlocked, or all avenues unlocked, I should say. Um, but yeah, one of the other neat things that they've done in the the map in not on the map but the the camp is if you don't want to run around which some people don't i get that or the allure will wash off and you just kind of want to go to the important bits what you can do is there is a fast travel system that you can easily bring up a list of everyone in camp there'll be little icons showing you points or people of interest things that uh, people that have things to say to you vendors what have you just quick select who you want to go to, quick fade to black, fade fade in, and you're there. It's super easy. And yeah, I, this game impressed me. Uh, I was... I don't want to say I was, wasn't expecting much going into this game, because I mean, I had taken a look at the trailer and I was intrigued. But going in and playing, experiencing kind of the difficulty what they were going for, kind of the depth and richness of everything on display, and just how deep these systems go, I came away from it far more impressed and excited for the game than I would have ever thought going into it. Um, it is coming out this year. It's actually coming out in about a month, on October 13th, in on PC. They were going to try and do a simultaneous release also on Xbox, but because they are a smaller team, they wanted to devote resources properly. So they're doing initial release just on PC on Steam, followed early next year by an Xbox Series X. I think it might just be Series X and S. I'm not sure if it's also an Xbox One. But it's on the Xbox platform. No mention of Game Pass or anything, but that is coming early next year. So Fire Emblem fans and people that are deep into kind of the more medieval fantasy uh, aesthetic, I highly, highly recommend you check out Lost Eidolons, Eidolons, however you pronounce it. I, I, I think this game could really use a demo. I, I would love to see this game get a demo in the Steam shop. I think it would sell people on it. But at least for now, this Dragon Age Fire Emblem baby uh, has sold me on it, and I can't wait to play it, honestly. Now this next game I checked out will be more recognizable to players that grew up in the 90s, but its legacy and what it has contributed to 
the RPG space and especially the immersive sim space will instantly be recognizable. It's it was a huge Kickstarter success back in 2016, also 2016, but it was the System Shock remake from Night Dive Studios. Now, initially they showed off like this big re-reveal at Gamescom a couple weeks back, but at PAX West, I was able to sit down, well, stand in front of anyway, a demo, speak with one of the developers, and play for about a half hour of this new remake. And admittedly, I haven't played the original System Shock. I know of it, I know, like, people, I remember when Bioshock came out, it's like the spiritual successor, whatnot, to, to System Shock. But playing it, it was, so it's been completely redone, it's in 3D, it feels very good to play, but this game has had a rather troubled and tumultuous development cycle. Now, obviously, as being a Kickstarter, six years old Kickstarter at that, it's gone through some issues. It, including, but not limited to, changing of the whole engine partway through development. Originally, it started on being developed on Unity, and then it moved to Unreal, but I have to say, I was really, really impressed with what I played. It was very early in the game. I mean, it was it was the beginning of the game. The the what really impressed me was the aesthetic of it. It, it it's kind of that cyberpunky asset kind of vibe. A bit more sci-fi, futuristic sci-fi than like a cyberpunk 2077 something like that. A bit, a bit further ahead, I would say. At least from what I saw. And it had this unique, almost it wasn't pixelated, but, like, everything kind of had... It was like... It was a filter over things, so it looked like it was a little older, but it... It's it's really hard to explain. It, he, the developer described it as giving it everything almost like a voxel look to it. It had kind of some... Some areas had simplistic textures, um, but on purpose... To just enhance the aesthetic. It, it was really weird. It genuinely felt like a modern evolution or kind of reinterpretation of what games looked like back in the mid mid-90s. And playing through, like, you definitely see the beginnings of I got far more Deus Ex vibes than I got like a Bioshock, granted, I played it was still very early on in the game, um, but being able to pick up random things, and walk around, and interact, and find everything, it was difficult, I did die, and one of the kind of bummers, bummer parts of the demo is if you died, you go back right to the very beginning, you have to start all the way over, so I obviously lost progress, but I still was able to progress, I got to do one of their dive things, like where you go into cyberspace or something. I don't know the story behind that. You you play as a hacker, so, um, but you can like dive into some computers or something, and then you fly around in like this digital cyberspace, and you bust viruses or something. I I don't know why you do that. I don't know what any of the things are called, but it was still fun. Controlled with very very well. Um, it actually made me want to go back and actually try the original game, see what that was like, how it performed. So <laughs> when I got home, actually, uh, 
one of the first things I did was hop on Steam and, and purchase the bundle that comes with the original System Shock and the System Shock Enhanced Edition. I haven't played, gotten around to play it yet, but it is installed, so hopefully this weekend I'll be able to dive in and see... Uh, just kind of give me a better idea of how far it's come, because I have no reference point um, with this remake, and I want that. I want that perspective. I think it's important. It's obvious the work that went into this, but I don't know how mind-blowing the remake is until I have a, a, a reference point, that starter point of how far it's come. Um, it does look like that. It's coming out this year. I'm very happy. Um, one of my, I've had friends that back this way back in the day and are anxiously awaiting it. The, the lines for this game were... It was, it was always a packed demo. There were always people lined up to play it. It was... It was impressive. And he mentioned that, or the developer mentioned that as well, that just the length of the lines, and I guess at Gamescom there was this cosplayer that came in, this really impressive Shodan uh, cosplay. Shodan, I guess, is the sentient AI that you're kind of battling against during the... During System Shock, so we will see. But if this, I'm I'm anxious to dive into the System Shock franchise for when, if if and when System Shock Three inevitably comes out, actually finishes because it was in development for a while and then stopped, and I don't know honestly what the status is right now, but.
that was System Shock by Night Dive Studios, the remake. This next game that we checked out, it's, it's one that I've played before and that you can actually purchase on Early Access right now and give a look at, but this is kind of a special one because, it, as I mentioned before and I've had on an episode, it my, my entire Divinity Original Sin crew was at PAX. We all roomed together along with Cam Hawkins, it, all everyone, previous guests here on the show, and <clears throat> Matt Storm, Matt Finneman, and Josh Silverman and I, we all had a chance to play kind of the most recent Baldur's Gate 3 patch. Uh, many of them have never played Baldur's Gate 3 yet. So we played Baldur's Gate 3, and then we had a chance to meet and talk with one of the developers that was there. We got a nice sit-down, about 20-minute long conversation with them, uh, with Kieran Kelly from Larian, and here is our interview, so enjoy. So uh, I'm here with Kieran Kelly of Larian Studios. It's me, Matt, and I'm here with Finn. Matt's friend, Scott. Josh. Uh, and we are a Divinity Original Sin group that meets every Monday, and we're chatting a little bit about Baldur's Gate 3 and, of course, Divinity Original Sin 2. Scott had some very important questions to ask. Right. And this trend also deals with Baldur's Gate 3. One of my biggest, quote-unquote, complaints with Original Sin 2 was, I'm the thief rogue guy, but I can only steal from people once. Is there a, will I be able to steal from people multiple times in Baldur's Gate 3? And if not, is there a way I can mod the ability so I can steal from people multiple times? In Sorry. Game. So you steal from everybody in the game, you get all their money, and then you want to rinse them again by stealing from them again? Well, if I'm stealing when I'm a lower level, I'm not as good of a thief, or I don't have like invisibility to steal. So I can't go into the full details of what our uh, NPC reaction system will be like, but it's definitely evolving, just like all the other systems in NOS 2 have evolved from BG3. But like, if you're going to rinse somebody out of their house and home of all their money, I don't think they're going to suddenly come into a Dragon Horde's worth of gear again for you to steal after a few hours of gameplay. I don't want them to like regain stuff, but like in Original Sin 2, I can only steal X amount. It could be a very small amount of their stuff before the bar is like, no, you can't do that. Yeah. I want to be able to like go back when I'm a bit better thief, maybe have it be riskier, but be able to take some of the things I missed. Like the reality is that because we're in early access, I can't say what yeah. we'll do now because it may change. But like, we're very, like if you look at DOS 1's stealing mechanics and then DOS 2's stealing mechanics and now BG3's, we are constantly evolving those systems. And also when you look at uh, how we're, we're, we have to play with the uh, the D system a lot more. And that gives us a lot of, yeah. um, extra kind of interesting decisions and things that we get to do with the D20. Yeah. So those key roles are much more important in this game than they were in DOS 2. In DOS 2, there was a dice system at play, but it wasn't so prevalent and so in your face. And so by by uh, elevating the dice system into in BG3 with the D20, there's a lot of fun that comes with that. And so especially when it comes with stealing or pushing your luck in different ways, we're always pushing the boundaries to see what we could do. So all I could say is, Maybe it'll depend on where the fun is, basically. Perfect. So, um, <clears throat> I'm going to hit you with a little swerve. What would you say is your favorite quality of life or UI upgrade from DOS 2 to Baldur's Gate 3? Just one. <laughs> uh, Go as many as you want. The well, standouts. The, the issue as well is you got to remember that we're playing with internal builds that have even more improvements. They, they, the UI 
again, is all is always improving. Like, if you remember the original time we showed this game at PAX, was it 2020? Yeah, the yeah. one right before the world went to hell. Exactly. No, and we showed it publicly, right? And everyone was like, oh, it's DOS 3, because it used a lot of the same elements and UI. And a lot of it had actually been redone even back then, but the structure of it had been similar and stuff. So one of the struggles that we had was actually how do we implement the, the spell system in D&D and a few other things that D&D brought to the table that was uh, a little bit inelegant in our first uh, iterations of our UI system. And even now, like as you can see, when you start upcasting spells and stuff like that, actually you might not have seen that at level one, but like at level three and four, and then obviously in five and six and seven and eight, when you're up, upcasting your spells, we now have UI systems within UI systems that actually make it so much more robust and interesting. And our guys are also exploring ways of teaching you the game beyond the tutorial using the UI. So those of all, again, we're, we're constantly evolving to make it as good as we can. So there's no one single change. I actually like That's the most new, diplomatic answer I've ever heard. Uh, I've got a lot of devs behind me here going, what are you talking about? My thing or your thing? No, in reality, like I actually love how clean the new the new bar is. I, I actually kind of like that slightly detached look over the, yeah. over the solid bar and stuff. So there's a lot of cool uh, refinements that come from that. Also, I'm one of the things I noticed when you guys were playing, and it's not a UI thing necessarily, it's a gameplay thing, but I'm really loving the simultaneous turns. Yes. Yeah. I think that's such a great little addition that the guys did for the combat system because it, uh, it really speeds up multiplayer gameplay, especially where it's like, you know, uh, it could be your turn, then your turn, then my turn. And even though we're all technically acting at the same time, I have to wait for both of you and you might forget to hit end turn or whatever. No, no, no. Now we can all just go and actually it can result in some pretty cool moves depending on, on how you plan that out as well. I was going to say like, I mean, one thing about Divinity is the way your systems interact with each other leads to some ridiculous outcomes. So I can't wait to see what Baldur's Gate offers. My next question is focused on the narrative. So obviously in Divinity Original Sin 2 and Divinity 1, the narrative was important and you made a lot of important choices, but it was this bird's eye view. It felt a little removed, whereas clearly in Baldur's Gate 3, you're in the action. The multiplayer characters are in the cutscenes. Was that an active decision to like bring the narrative in more focused give people more choice and make them feel more absorbed in the moment to moment? Uh, narrative is a huge factor for us. And actually, as, you, as you've pointed out with the cutscenes, like even just um, while it's a visual upgrade, the additional, the, the, the addition of having cinematic dialogues is ginormous for us, right? And, and doing that was not a small investment. Like the cinematics team alone is like 50, 60, 70 people. It's a huge team to get this much dialogue into the game and we're already looking at a game that's in early access rivaling DOS 2 in terms of size right so it's a huge undertaking but that alone allows you to invest in the character like I know Shadowheart it feels like on a more personal level than I knew any of the DOS 2 origins just because I can see her and see her mannerisms and her acting and I, I, even now like our cinematics team only recently released them um, they call it sustained acting where like they have little mannerisms for every single line of dialogue that's being said. And those mannerisms change based on their emotional reaction to something you said previously. So they might say the same line twice, but look slightly differently based on what I've said, right? So all of those things that we're doing is all in service of the party, the narrative and everything yeah. else. But yeah, just like it does too, narrative is huge, man. And also those origin stories where 
you you can explore those personal stories within that larger narrative is is a big big part of it. And actually, you'll see in this one, there's a much bigger emphasis on the party because uh, in DOS 2, while well, yeah, you were sorcerers and then God woken, it became very individualistic. In this one, you're you're all kind of uh, doing your own thing. You've all got your own problems and everything else. But the problem that you're given to a certain degree is a lot more unifying and that like, yeah, we're, we're all in this together. We need to solve it together. So you'll see like we're, we're going to do it um, over the over the over the coming months and year as we're as we're trying to launch PG3. You'll see us really focusing in on how much of those interactions within the party matter. Even the voice marks you'll see as you wander around um, the world. That those party members, even the ones you're not directly controlling, are are talking to each other, and that that relationship grows over time as well. So, so much we're we're really trying to make it as a uh, per, like we're, we're trying to really enhance the narrative on the micro level as well as the macro level for sure. Going back to your cinematic camera and everything, it was fun. Like while we in one of the cutscenes. Um, he, his character was in the interaction and the dialogue and everything. And my character, he he mentioned that you can see my character kind of sneaking around and doing whatever I'm doing in the background. And it's just, we had a good chuckle at that. Like he's do, and it's very much like our original Sin 2 party. They'll be doing the dialogue as I'm like sneaking around, probably getting into trouble and being able to now, he sees that in a more cinematic nature, it just, it adds to that kind of hilarity and uh, party dynamics. Yeah, there's some pretty uh, funny things you could do in there because like the cinematics are live happening while you're in the world. They're not like um, recorded cutscenes that yeah. you put out of, like that you black screen out of and then go into the cutscene. So yeah, you could do some pretty wacky stuff for sure. But one of the things as well is that, again, one of the most recent patches added in, if you, if you played when we first launched and you got into a dialogue with somebody, everybody, was basically standing super still, except for the person in the dialogue. And we've changed that now so that everyone actually reacts to the dialogue as it's happening. Just adds that extra little bit of immersion that the party is listening to the situation. Um, so this is one of your first major like public appearances since pre uh, the world going to hell. What, have you, what would you say has been the public reception to this newest like look at Baldur's Gate 3? So we did PAX East, right. which gave us a lot of, uh, and we actually did EGX before that. So we've been kind of warming up onto the circuit again for, for a while now. But honestly, I think that people, like, obviously there's still a lot of nervousness that people are um, are taking their time coming back. And I think that's the wise thing to do. We're taking every precaution here that we can in terms of um, wiping down every station and taking care of people. And, and we've had to space out our demos to do that. And so we're taking every precaution we can. But I think honestly, it's just great to see people again, see people enjoy the game like the reason why we do this and these are very expensive shows but they're they're a celebration of not just our game but games in general it's a great opportunity to literally go face to face with your fans see their reaction like even with the dos 2 board game you know you can design and spreadsheets and, and an indesign and photoshop all day long and you can have good ideas and you can know what's going to work on the table but then seeing the players light up in those circumstances for, for any game that we work on is such a, um, it's an energizing thing for a dev because you can be in your bunker working away for months and you come back, you come to a place like this and you're, you're exhausted after the weekend, but you're reinvigorated because you know the passion that you share is shared with the fans, you know? Nice. I have one quick request. 
Um, and maybe this will, you mentioned how characters have inner er, respond to what's being said in cinematics and everything. Um, I don't know if it's planned or maybe down the road if there's time, but is there any interaction where like if someone's distracting like a shopkeeper or something and someone sneaks up, do you see the person swiping, like picking things out of their bag? That would be funny to see like uh, pickpocketing and like seeing like things being pulled out of their pocket. It's an animation of the actual pickpocket. Uh, TBD, because as you can probably imagine, those animations are, are very time consuming to make. Um, and they're also, uh, they're very uh, situational in their uses, right? So you'll actually notice that a huge amount of work has been done uh, to make the game look good in a closer in a closer field of vision. Like DOS 2 had the advantage of most of the time you're watching that game, you're playing that game from a top-down perspective. And while you're playing a lot of your BG3 interactions like that, because every single dialogue is cinematically done, we have to allow the quality, the, the, the visual quality and fidelity of the game to go way up so that when you zoom in, you have those. So like, we do our best to make that immersion as strong as possible, but obviously there's going to be limitations in every game and how much we can animate. More of a joke request, but uh, you, the team has done such a great job. It looks fantastic. The character models, the environments, effects. The thing is about your joke request is that, like, in reality, we have considered it, right? Like, so much of this game is we want to, like, I think I've said this in so many interviews, I've probably told you about this before, but, like, back here, when we were working on DOS 1, it was, uh, we had a kind of an ethos that was, like, all, not best described, but definitely very well described with a piece of paper that used to be on the, on the punch board in the Ghent office. And it literally said, why can I move the plant pot? because it's there. In a plant pot means nothing to the narrative, to the story. It's not got any combat relevance necessarily, but we allow you to move it and interact with it because it's physically in the world. And that kind of literally just echoes into every system that we have in the game. It's a, it's a mentality that we've had for a very long time. And it's taken us this long over this 20 years to get to the stage where we, we know how to build entire worlds and narratives in this systematic way. Like Sven recently did a, a demo where um, he showed uh, a situation where there's a gunpowder. This will look, you'll love this. There's a situation later in Act One where uh, there's a gnome that's going to basically threaten to, to kill you and her by blowing up a gunpowder panel, right? And so it's smoke bars, so not gunpowder. And um, we're getting our photo taken right now. <laughs> uh, so he was showing this demo, and she, she's basically step back, get away from me, whatever. And in true uh, Larian style, you can keep pushing your look and she'll do it. She'll blow everyone up um, or you can back away and whatever else. However, you can have it where a friend of yours sneaks around the back and literally takes the smoke powder barrel away from her. And then the dialogue, if you then push her to the limit, she'll try and blow it up. But she's like, where did it go? So, so much like we, so that's what we, that's how deep we go in terms of how much reactivity we want to allow. Um, and that had to be deliberately, like you can't programmatically make that up, yeah. right? Our designers had to go, hey, wait a minute, what if someone takes the barrel? And then they went in and they, they recorded the voice lines for it, the mocap for it, everything. So as much as possible, we do that across the board. And that's just one very, very small example of what we do. So cool. I love that. My last question is, is there something you've seen live that you couldn't have imagined someone would do or like a fun moment where someone's playing and they're messing with you or something with something and you're like, that's brilliant. That's a great idea. Like surprises from the fans. 
God. I mean, we get them all the time. A lot of the time, they're either... Uh, they're sometimes bugs, obviously, in early access. Sure. But generally speaking, um, I don't have anything specific. You've kind of hit me at it. It's the morning right now. Just context. <laughs> it's the morning, and you're hitting me with a difficult question. Um, way to put me on the spot. Way to put me on the spot. No, I, like... I think honestly, it's innovation that we love, right? So we see it a lot in DOS 2 as well, but in VG3, I guess um, some of the innovations that we really like is 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 with those barrels, with the smoke barrel barrels. But we've moved away from those to a certain degree to allow for the more uh, heavy D and D mechanics. Honestly, one of the coolest things that we've been seeing is how much people are playing with the height mechanics in the game. There's so much more um, interactivity in terms of the the verticality of the game. So one of the things that our designers have had to do. Uh, I had an interesting conversation with our combat, our lead combat designer, Edward, about six months ago, where he was talking about how in DOS 2, you don't realize it because there's some, there is height in that game, but actually everything is on a flat plane. And so uh, it's, it's much easier to AI program and also to plan for combat encounters. Sure, so it's more like these squares have an advantage, these squares don't, right? But now with the verticality that we have in the game, there is all sorts of wacky stuff that our players can do based on the height differences and the, and the, and the various options that they have there that uh, they've had to, to relook at a few encounters because of that. But I don't have a specific uh, innovation, I'm afraid, that's, that's jumping to mind right this second. I mean, that's still a great story, this idea that there seems to be so much verticality. Like, Josh is a ranger in our campaign and is always finding the highest point. But the fact that it's not really a height difference in the same way that it is in, in Baldur's Gate 3 is really exciting. Yeah, in Baldur's Gate 3, you go to the Goblin Camp, there's there's a fight there with Drowraz Raxlin that, uh, if I if I remember this right, has at least three major levels of verticality and then two or three in between. So you can like go up onto the rafters, like hit the chandeliers that are burning f f embers, knock them down on top of them. Then the guy on the ground He's also on, a, on an upward platform, so that's like a half point of, of interaction. And then, uh, depending on your positioning, you can also knock some of his goons into the spider pit below. So, like, the amount of literal 3D chess that our combat designers have to think of for all the different things that can happen. So, yeah, those fights can get all, uber messy, which is a good reason for the new AI, where we do swarm AI. So, yeah, that's... Uh, did you see the swarm AI in action? I have... I I'm in the early access and stuff, so I've dabbled in like and seen a bit of it. It's, it's impressive. The original goblin fights were like 20 goblins in a fight would go on for an hour and a half just because of each individual goblin taking a turn. And now they all act at the same time. So if you do accidentally, you know, start a fight with absolutely everybody at a camp, it's okay. It's not going to blow up your computer. We've never done that. We've never wiped out an entire town in, in Divinity. Why would we do that? So, uh, we know you're super busy, so we want to uh, thank you for all your time. But we also, you know, want you to be able to, to star yourself. So why don't you just let everyone know, like, who you are and what you do at Larian and, and why you're so cool? Uh, well, look, I, my name is Kieran Kelly. I'm part of the publisher team, product manager. I work on numerous different projects. I, you'll see my hands in, uh, in some of the work we do for Panel from Hell. So you'll see me, obviously, at PAXs like this. I'm working on the DOS 2 board game. Honestly, there's a there's an absolute army behind me that do so much work for this game. So, not the not the culture of us to go, yeah, elevate me, please. But yeah, oh, we're, no. we're very very thankful. To, I just wanted to you just, because you're cool and you know. I appreciate it, man. No, no, like honestly, uh, yeah, I just do what I can for the for the company and for the team and the game when we can. 
and that usually has me uh, in different positions at different times, so yeah. And where can people follow Larry and Baldur's Gate or uh, anything like that if they want to keep progress on it? Yeah, best places on our socials, which will be at Larian Studios. It's pretty much Larian Studios everywhere. Uh, I believe it's the same. We've recently launched a TikTok if you're interested in that sort of thing. You'll see a lot of that uh, around PAX especially. We've been doing some crazy stuff with the Mind Flayer. He's called Fred, by the way. Fred is very nice. I've met him a few times. He's really, really a sweet guy. So he's been he's 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 the new star of TikTok. So you'll you'll see that soon. Well, thank you so much for your time. This was great. It's fun as our divinity crew to kind of just chat with you and share how much we love this game and how we're excited for the new game too. Like Larian's work is on a level that I think just doesn't compare to any other studio because the amount of love you put into these games, it's clear that you're fans just like we are. Yeah, one hundred percent. We're gamers making games for ourselves as much as you guys. Thank you so much for your time. Pleasure. And that was our interview with Karen. It was really good to talk to him. I can't wait to see and try the Divinity Original Sin 2 board game. I'm a big board game fan. I've been working on getting my wife Becky more into board games. We love having board game nights with our friends, so I really, really can't wait to try it. And every time I play Baldur's Gate 3, I just fall more in love with it, and I can't wait until it's out, out. And, um, yeah, I mean, that'll be the next big game that the four of us play together. And as we start winding down, we're getting close, closer to the end of Divinity Original Sin 2. But always great to, to hang out and talk and interact and just, you know, play games with my friends, with Matt, Finn, and Josh. So I hope you enjoyed that interview, and be sure to give Fun and Games Podcast a follow that's matt storm's podcast along with sdgc that's finn's podcast that he kind of helps run and is a guest on along with a number of other wonderful wonderful people and uh josh silverman and all of his good stuff you can follow him on bear punch media or just at bear punch he's got or they've got a bunch of wonderful things going give those wonderful wonderful people a follow uh, enjoy their content as well. But everybody, that is going to do it for another episode, another side quest, as it were, of RPG University. I, kind of a, an interesting one. I know I had promised the PAX panel, but I haven't gotten the audio for that yet. So when you do, when we do, hopefully in the next couple weeks, that will be going up here as well for you all to enjoy. In the meantime, as always, everybody, thank you to each and every one of you who's listened today. I very much appreciate it. If you have an RPG you would like us to feature on an episode, tweet at underscore RPG University with your suggestion, or you can share your favorite RPGs directly with me on Twitter at ProfessorRPG. Were you at PAX West? What are some of the favorite RPGs or games that you tried? Let me know. I'd be anxious to hear. Until next time, everybody, stay safe, stay healthy, be kind to one another. Class dismissed.